Welcome to Psych Talk. I am your host, Jessica Lee, a licensed clinical psychologist. It is my mission to motivate, inspire, and educate you on everything psychology, mental health, and self-growth. Although topics discussed on this podcast are similar to therapy, Psych Talk is not a replacement for therapy and is for educational and entertainment purposes only. Whether you are a mental health professional or student in the social science field, are interested in psychology and mindset shifts, or are just interested in gaining skills and knowledge to grow into the best version of yourself, this podcast is for you. My hope is to provide you with knowledge and skills that you can implement in your daily life that add up to make a big impact. Let's dive into today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to Psych Talk. I am super excited for today's episode. I have a very special guest, Jax Anderson, who is a licensed professional counselor. So Jax, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. So do you mind introducing yourself a little bit about your background and what you do? Sure. I don't mind. I am, as you said, Jax Anderson. I also have a brand called The Psychotherapist. I like to put a space between psycho and therapist just to keep it real. Um, (laughs) I work with tweens and teens and parents of tweens and teens mostly. That's a lot of what you'll see Uh, me market and display on social media, but I also see people age 12 to 112. So I, I don't work with the 113 year olds. So I cut that, I cut it off at, at that, but boundary setting. Yes. Yes. And I do find that, you know, some people find me, they like my style or they, they want to work on anxiety or transition. So I do get a lot of moms that usually end up bringing their tween or teenager to me, but then they want to work with me because, you know, they're experiencing empty nest syndrome or they're going through a separation and they're transitioning. So they want some help with that. Awesome. So you work with a wide variety of individuals and ages and everything. Do you have specific clinical interests that are like your favorites to work with? I honestly really do love working with the tweens and teens I think that they keep me young, but I also have this, I don't know what happened to me that I didn't get what a lot of other adults got. It seems like when you reach a certain age after your adolescent stage, you cross over this barrier where then you forget what it was like to be a teenager. I never crossed that barrier. Like I can remember (laughs) very vividly what it was like being a teenager. So I think that helps me work with tweens and teens. It also helps me build rapport with them and really come from an understanding, compassionate, empathetic perspective. But it also helps me translate tween and teen speak to adults to parents, to teachers, to other counselors, to law enforcement, to whoever's working with tweens and teens. And I'm able to trans, it's like I'm a translator, like a teenage translator or something. I don't know, but, and I, now I don't want to walk across that barrier because I really enjoy working with that population. That's awesome. So it's like, you know, all the cool lingo and then tell us other adults Oh yeah. What it means. Yeah. (laughs) Teens they'll come in now. It's okay. Spill the tea. Tell me what's going on. Yep. (laughs) And parents are like, what, what is that? We're having tea. No, no, (laughs) you don't get it. (laughs) 
we're obviously going to be talking about tweens and teens today. And I know um, one of the things you do is help parents better understand their tweens and teens. And you just shared that you never really got over that bridge of forgetting what it was like to be a teenager. Is there any other reason that you wanted to work with tweens and teens or did it kind of just fall into your lap? It did fall into my lap when I, okay, here's a little bit of history of Jax. When I was in undergrad, I was studying psychology and I really, I picked psychology because I was very philosophical at the time. I feel like I was going through an early existential crisis. And so I just picked psychology. Then when I graduated from college in my twenties, I kind of just floated around, you know, if, if these house vans would have been popular back then, I so would have done that and traveled the country. Uh, So I just kind of floated around and then came back to Wisconsin. That's where I live. And I went to the police academy. Oh, wow. So a lot of people don't know that about me, but I did go to the police academy. I became a law enforcement officer and did that for about six months and was like, um, it rains outside. I don't want to do this. And, and it's cold here in the winter in Wisconsin. So then I became a correctional officer okay. and I did that for about five years. Cause it doesn't rain in the jail. It's warm in the winter in the jail. So I did that for about five years. And while I was doing that job, um, my staff sergeant at the time, they needed to train female officers for the juvenile detention unit. And they signed me up. They put me on the list. And I literally, I remember doing this. I went into my staff sergeant's office and I said, you don't, you do not want to do that. I do not like teenagers. I don't get along with them. You do not want to put me in juvenile detention. I know. Right. It's, it's crazy to think about that now, but he did anyway. He was like too bad. And so this, I remember the day that I realized what teenagers needed from adults. I was in the, there were these teenagers in this one part of the detention area who kept just being teenagers. They were being annoying, you know, they were loud and whatever they weren't following the rules and okay. They were just being teens. So I kept going in there and telling them to be quiet in this very authoritative way. I was like trying to dominate them and telling them you need to listen, or I'm going to take away blah, blah. Anyway, all the stuff that you're not supposed to do when you're working with teenagers and they obviously didn't listen to me. And so the, the last time I went in there, I said, you know, what, what is it that you guys want. I am so frustrated dealing with you. I don't want to have to take anything away from you, you know, but I'm, I don't know what else to do. I, and and I was swearing at them and I was just like, I kind of lost my shit. And I said, can you please just, just calm down? And they looked at me and they were like, okay. And I said, wait a minute, what, what just happened here? And they're like, well, you just finally got real with us. And then it was like a light bulb moment. And then after that, I loved working in juvenile detention so much that I decided to go back to grad school and work with teens before they got to jail. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. Sure, That's that's the long story. No, but that's really awesome how like all of those life events just kind of led you to where you are today, but it's not, I would venture to say the 
typical path that most people that go no. into becoming a therapist. Right. Go. That's yeah. awesome. Yeah. So talking about tweens and teens, and you just made the comment like, oh, they were being teenagers. So Mm -hmm. can you discuss the brain development of Mm -hmm. teens and teens and then how you particularly help parents understand the development of their child? Absolutely. So the brain develops, the adolescent stage of development is from 12 to 25 years of age-ish, I always say, because like my 10-year-old, I can tell she's already starting that developmental stage. But a lot of people don't know that. And fair enough, because I think it was only maybe 20, 25 years ago where we thought a 12-year-old had an adult brain, like the the psychology, um, neurology. I, I heard that from Dan Siegel. And so we've learned a lot in the last couple of decades about the human brain and development. And so it's understandable that it, the knowledge just hasn't made it across the world yet that 12-ish to 25-ish is the adolescent stage of development. And once I start explaining this to tweens, teens, and parents, and how that development is, is, a, is going, like what's going on in that development, and they often get this look on their face, like a big sigh of relief. The tweens and teens are like, so there's nothing wrong with me. And the parents are usually like, so there's nothing wrong with them. I'm not doing this. We're not crazy. Like this is supposed to be happening. Yes. So the teenage brain, I I often say it's like a big supercomputer. So if you were to, if you had like an old MacBook or an old PC and you turned it on, it's probably going to want to do a lot of updates before it's able to run functionally for you. And that's pretty much what the teenage brain is going through. About 12-ish, it kicks into this major update. Like its operating system is going through major changes. And all of the different parts of the brain are experiencing this. And they're learning how to talk with one another, the different parts of the brain, in a new way. And it doesn't know how to do it yet. And it has to make a lot of mistakes and it has to be repeated several times in order to um, function productively. And that's why teenagers, we have to tell them so many times about something or why they're going to make mistakes over and over and over again. And their prefrontal cortex, which holds the executive function skills. I don't want to get too like sciencey on anybody, but executive function skills are like time management and organization, emotional regulation, impulse control, working memory. So all of the things that parents bitch about their teenagers, not knowing, or all of the complaints that they usually have, I'm like, yeah, but they're biologically developmentally appropriately engaging in that behavior, like they're supposed to, or their brain won't be able to complete its update. And so then parents are like, oh, okay. And teens are like, oh, so I'm not broken. I'm okay. Yeah. (laughs) That usually that lecture, so to speak, quote unquote lecture, that explanation really seems to help a lot of parents and teens understand that it's not them. Hello, would you like to learn to meditate 
or perhaps you've meditated for quite some time. I started around 50 years ago. As you know, meditation is good for lots, including stress reduction, letting go of anxiety, self-exploration, and ultimately awakening. If meditation or awakening interests you, check out my podcasts on Awakening Together with William Cooper. All of them are free. Both the description and the link are in the show notes of this podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, because um, I work with teenagers mm-hmm. who, and talk about like the frontal lobe doesn't fully develop until mm-hmm. around 25 ish. Like I, mm-hmm. like you say, and so like impulse control or emotion dysregulation, like that is normal yeah. behavior right, right. for a teen. And I love that you brought up like having to repeat. Yes. Because yes. that's probably one of the biggest frustrations I hear parents say, like, mm-hmm. I've already told them 10 times to do yes. this. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's like, it's not them sometimes, I guess I shouldn't qualify that all teens aren't yeah. doing this. sometimes they're blatantly just ignoring parents. Sure. They need that repetition. Yes. Yes. I tell, I say, Oh, you've only had to tell them 10 times. You're lucky. That's what I say. <laughs> That's I amazing. That. They're doing great. Only 10 times. That's excellent. You're a hundred steps ahead of the rest of the kids your age you know, but yeah, there are extenuating circumstances at play in, you know, uh, neurodivergent brains or ADHD brains, or, you know, people that have had trauma or traumatic brain injury. Those are all, and people's physiology is different. You know, one teenager's brain might develop from A to B is smoother than another teenager's brain. And I don't know why, you know, mate, th- there's no extenuating circumstance or diagnosis going on, but that's just the way, I don't know, maybe it's the peanut butter brand that they eat. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) No, individual differences. We're all Mm -hmm. different. Yeah. Uh, And the other thing that was coming up for me when you were talking about like the adolescent brain being 12 to 25, I love that Mm -hmm. you said that because I think so often we think of adolescence as like 12 to 18 and suddenly at 18, you're an adult. And I've been talking to a lot of my clients recently that are about that, like senior in high school age, early college. And like, having these crises. I don't know what I want to do for the rest of my life. I don't feel like I can manage a college schedule. And I'm like, it is ridiculous that we expect 17, 18 year olds to know what they're going to do for the rest of their life. They don't have the executive function to plan ahead hundred percent, or like go to college and suddenly take on all these responsibilities Mm -hmm. when the part of the brain that helps with organization and time management isn't fully developed. Um, So I think you explaining it saying like the adolescent brain goes to 25 Mm -hmm. can help kind of reconceptualize what it means to be an adolescent. Absolutely. And then the parents that have, you know, helicoptered or lawnmowered and, you know, their kids are leaving the nest, having had all of that stuff done for them, they've, they're, they're behind a lot at the age of 18, going off to college or going off to the military or wherever they're going. And, you know, they, they're used to somebody doing that for them. So their brain really didn't get the opportunity to practice doing those things. So they're behind uh, the curve really. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
So you just did a wonderful explanation of just like the brain and brain development. So now can you talk about emotional intelligence and then why it's important for parents of tweens and teens to understand their child's emotional intelligence? Mm -hmm. Uh, Emotional intelligence, excuse me, emotional intelligence is something that is far like ununderstood. Is that a word? I don't know. We don't understand it enough. You know, yeah, it is now. I made it a word. There we go. Trademark Chad Sanderson. No, (laughs) I think emotional intelligence is far more important than intellectual. Mm -hmm. If we can find a way to um, emotionally connect with our kids and emotionally nurture them, their intellect will develop just fine. They probably will have a stronger intellect because of the foundation of that emotional connection and nurturing. When we talk about emotional intelligence, it basically just means identify, helping your kids learn to identify what they're feeling, where it is in their body, what it means for them, talking about it, putting a word to it. Like if they're feeling confused, understanding that they're feeling confused and that it's okay. Here's what we do when we feel confused. And instead a parent's role, instead of fixing it for them can be validating that. Yeah. I don't like it when I feel confused either. Do you want to talk about it? And letting their kid process that emotion which is what their brain is encouraging them to do when it is telling them they're feeling confused to begin with. But because this society values intellect over emotion, we often skip over that process of identifying the emotion, giving it some valid validation, empathizing with it and letting it be processed we have a tendency to squash that, compartmentalize it, oh don't be so sensitive oh, you're, you're overreacting. It was just a joke. Don't be so emotional. And then this is what you can do. Suck it up, you know, go the, you need to do this and you'll feel better. Just go for, for a run, ignore that, avoid that feeling. Just don't think about it. But that is the opposite of what we need to do for brains to develop fully and functionally. Does that make sense? No, that makes a lot of sense. Okay. And like there was so much coming up for me because like just thinking about how, at least in my experience, like both like personal life and then just working with clients, like we allow children and adolescents to show the positive, quote unquote, mm-hmm. positive emotions, happiness, excitement. But like you said, squash the negative emotions. And I always use the bottle analogy when talking about emotions. So like if you're filling a water bottle or soda bottle and you're just stuffing your emotions in it, eventually it's Mm -hmm. going to explode or overflow, Mm -hmm. whatever. I mean, soda is going to explode if you should. Um, Mm -hmm. And we so often do that. And I don't think, at least in my experience, and I would love to hear your thoughts, a lot of parents intentionally are trying to like invalidate or hurt their child. Maybe it's how they were raised or it's just 
they don't understand like, why is my kid sad? So I'm just going to say like, there's no reason to be sad. Mm -hmm. Come on, let's go do this thing. But if that's the message you're getting over and over Mm -hmm. and over, then, Mm -hmm. okay, it's not okay to be sad. So anytime I feel sad, I'm just going to have to suck it up. Like you said, right. Or every time I feel sad, there's something wrong with me because I'm not supposed to feel sad. Mm-hmm. I agree with you hundred percent that I, I would say 99.9% of parents out there, I always have to qualify it. Cause there's probably one, <laughs> you know, 99.9% of the parents out there love their kids mm-hmm. and are doing the best that they can. I truly believe that 100%, but that doesn't mean that they don't have their faults, mm-hmm. you know, that your experience in life is your experience. And sometimes we need to open our perspectives to learning something new and be open to that. There's not one way to parent kids. There's hundreds of different ways. We have different cultures. We have different, you know, faiths. We have, we, there's so many different ways to raise your kids, to parent your kids, but I do believe that if somebody is preventing or somebody is presenting an alternative perspective to you in a compassionate way, it's wise to listen. Mm-hmm. And maybe you can integrate that into your parenting, but hundred percent, I believe parents love their kids. I also think that the older generations didn't get the emotional connection and emotional nurturing that we're aware of today. And we're trying to encourage today. I know my boomer parents didn't get that. Yeah. I know that a lot of Gen Xers didn't get that. That's why Gen Xers are so nihilistic, right? (laughs) Just kidding. But, but a lot of Gen Xers didn't get that, you know, even millennials, you know, and then there was this overcorrection of things where everybody gets a trophy. And so, you know, it's, it, if we look at the pattern, we'd see that a lot of parents really didn't have the tools Mm -hmm. and, when their kids cry, when their kids are sad or expressing the negative emotions, it makes them uncomfortable or it reminds them of a time they felt that way. So they're telling their kids to stop crying, not necessarily because they think crying is bad, but they're uncomfortable. They don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. So let's just stop the crying and then everything will be fine for both of us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh no, definitely. And that's everything you're saying is one reason that I, I, I don't work with adults. I mean, mm-hmm. I'll do, I'll work with the parents like in relation to their child, but a lot of times mm-hmm. I encourage the parents to get their own therapy mm-hmm. um, and not because they're doing anything quote unquote wrong, but like, you know, I think of anxiety a lot. A lot of my teens have anxiety and their parents are engaging behaviors that are actually maintaining the anxiety. Mm-hmm. And like, I can work with them and it's not malicious. It's mm-hmm. not you know, intentional, like, oh, I really want my child to continue being anxious, but it's, you know, oh, oh, just calm down or doing like Mm -hmm. uh, behaviors like avoidance, encouraging Mm -hmm. their kids to avoid and things like that. And I'll just say like, have you ever thought about um, getting your own therapy? It's hard parenting. It's hard Mm -hmm. parenting a teenager and Mm -hmm. it's hard parenting a teenager with X, Y, or Z. And a lot of times that can be helpful because then, like you said, like they can identify what they didn't get and how do they deal with those uncomfortable emotions when their kid is crying? And exactly. Telling their kid to stop crying so that they feel more comfortable mm-hmm. as well. Right. Once they, I've, I've observed parents that once they understand what they're doing to their, to their kids with good intentions, mm-hmm. but what they're doing, 
is harming their kids, that when you offer suggestions of what they can do instead and help them understand them, they're very willing to do it. Mm -hmm. They want their kids to be okay. That, I mean, what parent doesn't, you know, 99.9%. So most of them, um, want to do better. Some of them get defensive and it takes some time to, you know, get through that defensiveness with compassion, but, you know, eventually I think in most cases I've gotten through. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Yeah. As well. So when we were talking about doing this podcast, you mentioned Mm -hmm. uh, teaching parents to treat their child like an adult in training. And so I wanted to know if you could elaborate on what this means and why it is important. Yeah. I started saying that a long time ago um, because I, I thought about it, like, you know, when parents get, when your kids get to about maybe eight, nine, you feel like you're, you've gotten into this like really good groove. I've finally gotten this parenting thing down. I know what I'm doing. They do this. I do this. We've got, we're in a good routine here. And then the adolescent stage of development kicks in and you're back at the start line. You're behind the start. You're like, holy shit, everything just changed. All my parenting tips and tricks aren't working anymore. And I don't know. It's like, I don't, it's like, I'm a horrible parent. I don't know what I'm doing. So what parents will often do is try and get, they'll highlight those parenting tips and tricks that they were using. They'll, you know, dig in and they'll get even more authoritative with them. But because they're still trying to parent their child as if they're a kid. So I tell parents like, what if you looked at them instead of a kid anymore, if you looked at them as an adult in training, you are now the coach, the mentor, the guide, and you're training this kid to be an adult. They still need your guidance. They still need you to love them. Like a parent loves their kid, of course, but they are now an adult in training. They now need a little bit more autonomy, a little bit more independence. They need to be allowed to go off and socially connect with their peers, which is what their brain is screaming at them to do. So it's not personal and they need to be allowed to make mistakes and fix them themselves with your guidance and supervision and support. That's an adult in training. And that's how you can prepare them better for adulthood. And oftentimes what I see is just that shift in perspective really helps a lot of parents grasp that idea. I mean, words are funny. You know, we give, we give words meanings and then it sticks with it. You know, parents dread the teenage years because of everything everybody said, like, oh, wait till they're a teenager. Oh, wait till they're a teenager. Well, what if they're an adult in training? Mm -hmm. And that's how we looked at it. I love that. Mm -hmm. And so mental note in eight years, I'll know how to do this thing. Okay. (laughs) You'll have it. You'll be a pro. And then all of a sudden one day you'll wake up and like, I know nothing. Uh, (laughs) But another thing to bring it back to something you said earlier, when I was just listening to you talk, like, you know, train them to be an adult. You mentioned five, 10 minutes ago about how helicopter parents Mm -hmm. then actually are making for lack of a better term. I don't think that's the term you used. Like their children fall behind the curve to prepare for adulthood. So it was kind of like a full circle moment kind Mm -hmm. of clicked in my head um, Mm -hmm. because yeah, helicopter parents are doing everything for their kid with good intent. Mm -hmm. Like we keep Mm -hmm. saying, Um, Mm -hmm. but if 
you don't let your kid make mistakes. And it, I mean, I do not have a teenager. My child mm-hmm. is six months. So like she has not made many mistakes in her life. Uh-huh. <laughs> that, that, right, that, right. So I imagine it has to be extremely difficult to watch your kid fail mm-hmm. do something and have mm-hmm. to learn natural consequences. Mm-hmm. But in the long term, what I'm hearing you say is that's going to better prepare them. Absolutely. They'll, they'll be much better prepared. And if they're allowed to make mistakes under your love and support and nurturing care, and then also come up with their own creative solutions to fix that while you say, I believe in you, I have faith in you that you can do this. They're going to be so much better prepared for adulthood. But when helicopter parents take over, I always say, if, if you're going to helicopter and lawnmower parent, your your teenager with good intentions, but if you're going to do that, then you might as well hand them a walker when you send them off into adulthood because they're going to need it. Wow. I like yeah. that kind mm-hmm. of visual yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. And the, what I was just hearing you say too, just comes up with this theme of like validation, right? Validate your child mm-hmm. come from a place of love mm-hmm. and compassion. Mm-hmm. Um, which people, Oh, go ahead. No, no, you go ahead. (laughs) When, when parents ask me, you know, what are appropriate disciplines? What are appropriate punishments? I, I tell them, first of all, forget you ever knew the word punishment. Like that is not for kids. That's for murderers and rapists. They need to be punished, but kids there's discipline is an everyday thing where we're disciplining ourselves to get up. I'm disciplining myself myself to take a shower. I'm disciplining myself to work from home because of COVID. You know, discipline is a skill that needs to be taught. Let's not use that in a negative way, but consequence, that makes a lot more sense. So anytime your kid is going to experience some natural consequences for something they did, allow it. Allow it to happen. That takes you out of the role. You don't have to then put the, you don't have to be the bad guy and put a consequence on them, you know, allow it. But if a natural consequence isn't present, then they need an artificial consequence and try and make the consequence match the crime, so to speak. Mm -hmm. Oh, I've had that conversation with so many parents and one like vivid image of this parent just came to mind because I was talking about natural consequences and she was like, Mm -hmm wait, I just like, let it happen. I'm like, yes, because there, I mean, obviously I'm not going to like share what was going on. I was like, there are significant natural consequences for this behavior. Like (laughs) let the natural consequences happen because your artificial consequences. I like that term Mm -hmm. are clearly not making Mm -hmm. an impact Mm -hmm. on this teenager. So Mm -hmm. the natural consequences hopefully will. Mm -hmm. Yep. Let them fail the class. If they don't want to do the work, let them fail. That's a natural concept. You can encourage them. You can, you know, try and help them by coming up with lots of different strategies to help them be successful in that class. But if they're not going to do the work, don't do it for them. Mm-hmm. Don't try and get them out of it. Let them fail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And that goes back to that has to be incredibly difficult. Incredibly. Yes. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. you coming in and saving is not going to teach them for the next year in school or college or job. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. You, mom's not going to come to do your work project for you at mm-hmm. your career. So. Right. Right. Absolutely. 
So what I was going to say, but then let you go mm-hmm. because you kind of led into it um, and you've already given a lot of like tips and tricks and things that parents would do, but what would you say are some of the best things, whether it be skills, behaviors, words mm-hmm. that parents can do to understand and support their mm-hmm. teen or teen? Mm-hmm. Um, I would say learn what it means to validate somebody's feelings and do that with your teenager and also allow them to watch you do that for other people like your friends or your spouse um practice self-awareness that's a big one catch yourself doing the helicopter or lawnmower parenting and interrupt that process when it happens and allow your teenager or your kids to understand like explain it to them like, whoa, I just went into helicopter mom mode. I apologize for that. You know what? I believe in you. I have faith in you. You're going to fix this the way you want to fix it because it's your life. So allowing them to see that you made a mistake, you took accountability and ownership, you apologized for it, and you tell them you're going to do better. Telling them more positives than negatives. We're very good at criticizing our kids and telling them things that, you know, they should do or they shouldn't do. Um, and honestly, the, I, that comes again from good intention, but I think that we need to be more mindful of telling them about the good things that they do. Like, Hey, I was watching you play outside And I noticed how creative you got with your skateboard and you learned a new trick. I am super impressed by that and your patience and the way that you tried over and over again. You know, if we can find a way to point out those things and verbalize it to our kids, that's going to be huge for them. That's how we build self-confidence in our kids. Um, And always, always, always model the behavior you wish to see. I say it all the time, entitled parents raise entitled kids, disrespectful parents raise disrespectful kids, respectful parents raise respectful kids. So model the behavior you wish to see. I love all those. And I was <laughs> taking some notes down. Um, and I love that you said, like, when you were giving the example of the helicopter parent and mm-hmm. like awareness and pause, stop right. yourself and explain what happened mm-hmm. because it not only is bringing it to your awareness as the parent, but it is also then giving like words mm-hmm. to your children as to why you interrupted that behavior. And it also brings it then into their awareness as mm-hmm. well. So they can kind of pick up um, either on your behavior or on their own behavior. So if you make a mistake as an adult and you verbalize, this was a mistake, I'm sorry, X, Y, or Z. And then your kid catches themselves doing the same thing. They're going to remember. Yes. Oh, wait, mom did this. Yes. Dad did it. Grandma, whoever. Yes. And I know it works because I've seen other parents do it and I've seen their kids follow suit and I've done it and I've seen my daughter follow suit. Yeah. The other, the other thing I would want to add to this is um, if you can, Every once in a while, and I don't know, maybe every other week or every once, whenever it feels appropriate, ask your kids, hey, is there anything I'm doing as your parents that annoys you or upsets you? Or is there anything I'm doing that makes you uncomfortable that you would like me to change? 
or do differently, ask for some feedback. Mm-hmm. You'd be surprised what they, what they will say and how they will say it to you. I love that. Um, and that, I mean, just in a broader like idea, we don't, unless we communicate what annoys us, bothers us, frustrates us about another person's behavior, they're not going to change that behavior. And mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of kids probably aren't going to think to like, be like, Hey mom, you know, X, Y, or Z behavior really frustrates me. Would you mind changing mm-hmm. that? But asking the question and giving them the opportunity to do yeah. so because you could be doing something that you have no idea, no idea bothers your kid. It mm-hmm. could be the most minute thing as well. Right. right. Like, and I- remember that kids don't have uh, very good assertiveness skills yet. So they might be scared to say something or they don't know how to say something. And when we ask them that question, we're giving them permission to say something and we're giving them an opportunity to work on their assertiveness skills. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love it. Um, and I also, um, going back to what you were saying earlier, love the more positive versus negative. And I don't work with young kids as much mm-hmm. as I used to, but I, especially doing like behavioral therapy, like straight mm-hmm. behavioral therapy. That's one thing that I always encouraged parents to do and talked about. And it, even like, you know, I would tell parents, if you are struggling to find something like positive, quote unquote, positive, even neutral behaviors, like, you know, your kid finally sat down on the couch and is watching their favorite TV show. Comment that like they're being so quiet or I love how you're interested in this TV show. It might not seem like a quote unquote positive behavior, but it's not them fighting, kicking, Mm -hmm. screaming, which is what we give kids attention for a lot because going back to, it makes us feel uncomfortable. It ends whatever negative emotion within us, we get our frustration tolerance lowered Mm -hmm. and we're giving attention to that negative behavior. Right. So then we'll see more of, because if we give more attention to negative behavior, we'll see more negative behavior. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Love it. I love it too. And I love this discussion. So as we're kind of wrapping up, getting towards the end, is there anything I have not asked you about that you would like to touch on or share well, first of all, I apologize for the dogs barking. <laughs> it, it's fine. It adds, you know, character to this episode. We have an almost two-year-old puppy and he just can't help himself sometimes. Um, yeah, I don't, whatever. I'll have a lecture with him later. <laughs> Use positive reinforcement. Positive reinforcement. Yep. So I think that one thing that I always like to touch on uh, is, and I, and I like to mention as much as possible, like, first of all, generation Z is probably, I mean, I just, I admire generation Z so much. They are maybe in the history of the, of the human race. I don't know, like the most, uh, creative, the most inclusive, the most diverse, the most educated and wise generation that we've had yet. Mm-hmm. Like if somebody said, you know, uh, let's put a 19 year old or current 19 year old in the president's seat of the United States, I'd be all for it. Like, yep. Let them get in there and rip shit up. You know, like they <laughs> would know what to do. Mm-hmm. So I always say that they communicate so authentically and so compassionately 
And yeah, they're teenagers, they're young. So they might be a little bit more raw and a little bit tactless at times, but that's learning, you know, and I, I love it. I think it's so brilliant. And as mental health professionals um, that work with tweens and teens, I think we need to say that more. I think they need to hear us say that more. And I also think as, and I do this as much as I can now too, because I'm also going through a process of learning this, the last few years of our system, our political system in this country has really opened my eyes to a lot of things. I think it's opened up a lot of people's eyes Mm -hmm. and I've done a lot of thinking and reading. I think that as white mental health professionals, we need to be talking more about racism and cultural differences and inclusivity. Uh, We just, you know, mental health professionals that are people of color, they're talking about it. They've been talking about it for years. I think we need to do a better job of talking about that. We're in a unique position as mental health professionals. We're for everyone. Mm -hmm. So we need to be talking about everyone. And I think that'll help with the stigma. I love that. Thank you. Yeah. It's, I agree with Gen Z and I I do. I learned so much from my Gen Z clients. Like, and I'm also like, I was not half as bold as you were when I was 15. Like (laughs) the things that you say, and <laughs> I would not have even imagined mm-hmm. and granted mm-hmm. their world is there. We were talking before we hit record, just like social media and all of mm-hmm. that. But like, yeah, I'm just I have learned so. Yes. And don't you feel like you learn so much from them? Oh, I do. Not <laughs> just the lingo. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But like just concepts and I have watched some of these young people talk about racism or talk about politics, talk about uh, religiosity. Mm -hmm. I know that's not a word, but whatever. I, I, and I'm like, I never thought about that perspective before. And I'm like proud of my different perspectives, you know, like I like doing that. So I'm like, wow, I have learned so much from them. Oh yeah. I have too. And just, I know you said this, but how like inclusive and diverse, like, mm-hmm. I mean, the amount of conversations I had with teens leading up to the election that could not even vote, mm-hmm. but like, this is what I'm doing to help. I'm like, yeah. oh, not even con- thinking about that, which comes from a place of privilege as well. Yes. And I recognize mm-hmm. that within myself, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. like when I was 15, I wasn't thinking about like watching the news and, mm-hmm. uh, doing my own research on Mm-mm. political candidates. Cause I couldn't vote. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't affect me. And again, yeah. place of privilege, but yeah, that's, it's, mm-hmm. it's amazing. So yeah. I have loved this conversation and this is fun. So great. So before we like sign off, where can people connect with you? Cause I'm sure a ton of people are going to want to, they already <laughs> are following you <laughs> after this episode. Well, I, I float around on TikTok, um, at the, at psychotherapy. I'm sure you'll put these in the show notes. I too, will. So. Okay. <laughs> and Instagram at the psychotherapist. I have a Facebook group for moms of it's moms raising tweens and teens. And that's pretty much the only reason I'm still on Facebook is that group <laughs> because TikTok and Instagram. And, um, I, I found out these, found these other new apps called HiHo. Anyway, they're fun and email. People can always email me too. 
Okay. And I will put all of those in the show notes. So thank you so much for coming on Jax. This was great and such a good discussion. So I appreciate you taking time out of your day to join me. I love it. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you everybody for joining for today's episode of Psych Talk and I will catch you in the next episode. Bye. This episode of Psych Talk was brought to you in collaboration with Dive Through. Dive Through is a mental wellness company that helps you dive through what you go through. Dive Through has an introspection app which includes guided breathing, journaling, and reflection. I've been using the Dive Through app for almost a year now, and it really helps center me when I'm feeling overwhelmed. Their website includes blog posts on a variety of topics from emotional well-being to personal growth to parenthood and the LGBTQIA community. They have a free anxiety guide created by two licensed mental health professionals, as well as other mental health podcasts. To download the app, click the link in my show notes. And for more information, visit divethrough.com. That's D-I-V-E-T-H-R-U.com. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Psych Talk. I hope you found so much value. If you loved what you heard or gained some knowledge, I would love for you to take a screenshot, put it on your Instagram stories, and tag me at Jessica Lee PhD. Additionally, I would be honored if you leave a review and five-star rating so I can continue to help this podcast grow. If you are not already, follow me on Instagram and join my Facebook community, Grow Through What You Go Through. Thank you for joining me today, and I cannot wait for you to join me during the next episode. Remember, you are loved, you are worthy, and you are braver than you know.